he mahi tuatahi ki te atua te kaihanga o ngā mea katoa. Te tai pō rātou ki a rātou, te tai awatea tātou ki a tātou. I ngā whanau o St Albans Baptist, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Um, uh, I ngā whanau ki a hau, i ngā manuhiri i tautoko nei ki, te, uh, ki he i tēnei rā, Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Um, ko Nauri Batanahau, um, no Ngāti Parau me Ngā Tūhoi. Um, kia ora everybody, my name's Nauri Button. Um, I've been um, a member of St Albans for 29 years this year, so that's a long time. Um, and uh, I just want to really welcome you all here this morning. It has been a challenge this week. I've been off week, work all week with a nasty cold, and you can hear it a little bit, but I'm actually feeling fine, so um, unless everything goes silent, don't worry. Um, and it's true, it's 16th of August I was supposed to deliver this sermon, and um, it was really frustrating not to be able to get home and to know that I'd really dropped John Alp in it in terms of... Um, have, not having his speaker here on the day, and we were hoping right up till the Saturday night that I'd make it, um, but unfortunately the fog on the Chathams didn't allow the plane to leave. And um, apparently you can't take off in fog on the Chathams because if anything goes wrong with the planes, and they're very old planes, um, they can't come back, you see. They can't come back and land. So if, if it's foggy, you can't leave and you can't arrive. So that's what happened there. Um, this photo here is from Taurawera, which is the forest where our people come from. I've never been there, but next year is going to be the time, and I'm really looking forward to going and exploring some of our um, tribal lands. Uh, on the 16th of June, I was going to interview um, a good friend, Peter Hera. Peter um, unfortunately passed away on the 21st of August, so we'll never have that opportunity this side of eternity. But I just want to take a moment to honour him. Um, in the Māori Party campaign in 2014, I had some Māori leadership round to our place for dinner. It was Peter Hera and um, Pete Mason. They've both passed away now. My dad was there, and, and during the course of the evening, Peter and my dad were talking, and they realised that they were whānau, that they'd been raised in the same community and that they, um, they had, you know, common ancestry. And in Te Ao Māori, we don't necessarily have third cousins on your mother's side. You're just whānau, you know. We don't really quantify where it all fits together. You never could. But anyway, um, Peter and Dad really, um, they realised that they were, um, they had common tipuna. And, and from that time, Peter really took me under his wing. And um, he was always there and would contact me and... And when he was sick in hospital, contact, sent messages out, can you ask Nori to come? And so um, he was a, a true man of God. He, ministered, he was in Christian ministry, pastored for many years. He never, um, never missed an opportunity to share the gospel. Even in his dying days, he knew who the, who the orderlies were, who the nurses were looking after him. He knew where they were at with God. He knew what to say, and he witnessed to the orderlies in the hospital and um, loved the Lord with all his heart. So, moi mai rā te rangatira, moi mai rā, 
probably wouldn't be doing as much of what I'm doing today for Tell Māori as I am if it weren't for Peter. Um, so we missed an opportunity that day, but never mind. Um, the day will come again, I'm sure, on the other side. So I've entitled today's talk um, Towards Diversity because that's where I believe that the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God, is moving across the land of New Zealand and is calling the church to be more, to understand diversity, to understand the different cultures that we, um, we live among. And so I want to start by reading um, about the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. Not China, China. <laughs> they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They, they, they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If there's one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all of the earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So the original people were of one language and one family and one culture. And when the Lord came down and saw the tower, he could see that humanity was heading in a direction that he never intended. And he was justifiably displeased. Firstly, the decision to settle in China, which is, was um, close to Babylon, modern-day Turkey, was an act of disobedience and rebellion. They even... Um, and that was that the Lord had instructed them to spread out and fill the, earth, fill the whole earth. They even said that when they were making their plan, that we might not be spread out across the whole earth. Even though both in Genesis 1.27 and again in Genesis 9.7, the Lord had said to them both um, after the fall and after the flood to spread out, spread out across the earth, to fill it and to take possession and management over it. Secondly, the goal of the tower, the secondly, the goal of building the tower that reached the heavens so that they could make a name for themselves was scarily similar to the fallen angel who had said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the throne of God. I will ascend to the, above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. It's never been the Lord's plan for us to build ourselves cities and towers, not to make a name for ourselves or to be famous, but rather for us to develop communities and to manage and care for our place, our whenua, that the, and the world that he created for us. Yeah. When we didn't want to follow the Lord's call, he dispersed the human race 
across the earth. And from a biblical perspective, this was the beginning of cultural diversity on the earth. Diversity was God's plan and his strategy. We see in the wonder of creation that the creativity of our God doesn't make everything the same. We are a world full of different cultures. There are 7,000 languages in the world today, each one expressing our God in their own unique way. And there are hidden treasures in diversity, different ways of seeing things, wisdom from across other parts of the world, which has been given for us for times and seasons that we have not known, but which we can explore and understand, and in doing so, know more of our God. I love the way John explained it a couple of months ago um, when he was talking on on, um, New Zealand history. And he said there's a golden thread that runs from heaven, from the throne of God, through our communities. And And I believe that that is a global thread that runs from the Lord God, that the Lord God has woven throughout all of the cultures and the peoples of the earth. And he reveals himself to his people. And I remember Anne said to us way back at the time when I was writing this talk that um, he reveals himself in in mystical ways. And that mystical means um, spiritually significant. Hang on a minute. I lost my my place. Mystical means um, spiritual significance beyond human's understanding. There is much more to know of God, then we can ever learn from him from one single human tradition. Solutions to things like global challenges, like environmental management, holistic health and healing, celestial navigation and wayfinding, so many practical things, and also and especially insights that reveal more of the God that we love and serve. There was a school of thought that actually still exists in some corners of our community. And Mike Collins talked about it um, a few weeks ago when he was talking about evolution. That there are some people groups who are more highly involved, a school of thought that believes that there are some people groups that are more highly involved than others. The insinuation is that some cultures are more intelligent and more capable that they are entitled to more and have inherent rights above others because of their superiority. The extreme example of this is the Nazi regime and its promotion of the Aryan race and the belief that certain other races did not even have the right to exist and the right to life. I think, I hope that most, we would all all disagree with this view. However, colonised nations like New Zealand and Australia and others, are founded on the premise that Western culture is superior and our systems of government, of education, of health and justice and resource management and sometimes even church have their roots in this thinking. In 1770, when Captain Cook first traversed the coastline of Australia, he declared it terra nullis which meant that Australia was deemed to be unoccupied or uninhabited. He did this on the basis that the 750,000 Aboriginal people living there were not citizens, i.e. not really human. 
Australian Aboriginals had inhabited Australia for thousands of years before European settlement in 1788, and Indigenous customs and rituals and laws were um, complex and rich, but not written down in oral tradition. Australia was described as uncultivated desert containing inhabitants in a primitive state of society. Some colonisers believed that it was ridiculous to think that natives had a soul. Captain Cook claimed Australia for the British Crown under the doctrine of terra nullis, with the full knowledge that there were people living there but giving no value to their lives or to their culture. It might surprise you to know that the first white supremacist organisation in New Zealand met in Nelson on the 18th of August, 1857. It is also surprising that this group was not formed to be anti-Māori, but rather was the anti-Chinese immigration society. There were no Chinese in the region at the time, but the group discussed dis the, the group expressed disgust and horror at the probability of Chinese immigrants coming into the region. They failed in their mission, and many Chinese people came in to New Zealand, especially to work in the gold rush in the 1860s. The Chinese were treated terribly to the point where they boarded up the windows in their tiny huts, and they, they were the victims of racist taunts, violence, and even murders. Unfortunately, the church of the day were mostly silent and allowed this terrible racism to go on unchecked and unchallenged, except for one or two brave ministers. I'm proud to say that one of the outstanding anti-racist campaigners was Joseph Doak, who was a pastor at Oxford Terrace Baptist from 1884 to 1892, just eight years. Doak preached passionately that every human being as a friend and a brother and loved by God and of the need to bring the gospel to the New Zealand Chinese. Urging that the Chinese have souls to be saved, he said. Doak advocated for justice when his Chinese friends were arrested and incarcerated unjustly. He was quoted in an early newspaper as saying, it might surprise police to know that they, that's the arrested, actually were human beings with rights, the birthrights of all of God's human family, rights to justice and humanity and love. There's the gospel right there in the newspaper. To this day, Oxford Terrace Baptist has an effective and strong ministry to Chinese people. It's 130 years later, and a Chinese pastor employed, supported with funding from China. Interestingly, after his time at Oxford Terrace, Joseph Doak went to South Africa, where he embraced the struggle of Indians for justice. There he met Gandhi, and the two became good friends. I think it might have been Joseph Doak that told Gandhi about Parihaka and the peace movement, because we don't really know how Gandhi found out, but he did model some of his thinking on, the, um, on Parihaka. Doak and his family cared for Gandhi in their home for several weeks after he had been violently beaten by rival Indians. And Gandhi was touched by their hospitality and later wrote, the whole family gave their time either to nursing me or else receiving the hundreds of Indian visitors who came to me. Even at night, Mr. Doak would come twice or thrice into my room, would tiptoe in and ask if I wanted anything. 
When Joseph Doak died on the mission field, Gandhi spoke at a memorial service for him and, and said, to him, every human being was truly a friend and a brother. What a fantastic witness. It takes great courage to take the minority view and to speak out as a lone voice. It comes from an absolute conviction of right and wrong, of justice versus injustice, and from a genuine love for others. Dear church family, we cannot be Christians and believe that one ethnicity is superior to another. Amen. We must value and appreciate the diversity of cultures as all being a part of God's creation. Some of you will remember David and Dale Garrett from the 80s. Can you remember David and Dale Garrett? Scripture and song, call to war, fantastic. I got saved to that music. Um, well, the Lord has taken them on a cultural development mission of bringing worship to, to um, indigenous cultures all around the world. Or to put it in a better way, empowering peoples to worship in their own traditions with instruments, dance and song from their respective cultures. So we're just going to watch a little video clip while I have a quick drink of water. Our God truly is the God of all the nations. And he is able to respond and call out from the people the treasures that are in them and the uniquenesses that he has put into them and use those to give honour to himself and he will respond to them. That our dance that can be offered to him is the dance that we created and certainly have given to other gods or to entertainment. But these are the things that he can call back and separate for himself. I'd, I'd just like to read to you a little bit here from Colossians chapter 1. For God was pleased to have, have all his fullness dwell in him, that's in Jesus, and through him to reconcile or bring back to himself all things, whether things in earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. And this, this is an amazing statement when God is saying, that through the cross of Jesus Christ, all things are being brought back to him. And quite frankly, those all things include the land itself, but they include the sounds of the land. They include the treasures of the earth that belong to, that were given to the ethnic and indigenous people, the native peoples of the world. And God is saying, through the cross of Jesus Christ, there is cleansing and I want you to bring these things to me. And I believe this is part of the message that he's wanting to call forth. So he's not just saying, set my people free. Let them go to worship. Let them go and let them bring everything that they are. Joseph Doak's ministry and the kōrero of David Garrett illustrate well one of the two main points I want to make this morning, and that is that there is no hierarchy of cultures in the Lord's kingdom. Amen. Rather, that each and every culture adds an aspect of com completion to God's creation. 
recently I've been learning about and reading about um, a concept called cultural mindfulness. And we all have our biases in our thinking and in our world view. We might not realise it, um, but it's there. There is bias about age. Older people get treated differently to younger people. It is um, fat people get treated differently to thin people. Rich people get treated differently to poor people. And coloured people get treated differently to white people. These biases come from our life experience. Sometimes they are passed down from our parents. Sometimes we see in a news report or even an image on TV and it forms our thinking. We are actually all biased. Cultural mindfulness is about knowing that and about being aware of it and then pausing to be mindful in any given situation. Mindful about our thinking, our words and our attitude. Sometimes when we take the time to learn more about others' stories, lives and challenges, our hearts and minds can be changed in profound ways. And there are some fantastic opportunities coming up over the next um, few months to learn about, to learn and grow in these areas, and I'll tell you a bit more about those later. But I personally, I'm committed to helping the church, to, faci to facilitate this in the church, the, the, the bringing our thinking into line with God's thinking and the, the, in our church, but in the wider church, and that the gospel might cross cultural boundaries because I truly believe that the gospel is the power of God to change lives. Yeah. And when we present the gospel as diverse and not belonging to any particular culture, then we will see true reconciliation yeah. and redemption. Yeah. One of the problems that the early missionaries had was that the missionary society of the day believed that natives had to be civilised before they could receive the gospel. Samuel Marsden strongly believed this, and he had the early missionaries teaching Māori arts and agriculture in order to civilise us. When Henry and Marianne Williams arrived in 1823, there had been no conversions in 10 years of ministry of the mission because the gospel wasn't being shared. Henry showed great leadership in his reorganisation of the mission to get the missionaries to learn te reo Māori and, to, and building relationships with Māori in their own culture in order to share the gospel from the very start. Mary Ann was an amazing woman of God and did a great deal to educate Māori children and um, young Māori women and to protect them from the shipping, which I think actually meant the sailors. Mary Ann's home served as a refuge, a hospital, a hostel, a church, a school, in an official residence. Marion and Henry Williams were wonderful Christians who loved the Māori people and who served them unconditionally. The couple were loved and respected and trusted by Māori of the day who knew that they were the real deal. By 1843, they were, they were, that's 20 years later, there were over 3,000 Māori in Northland who had converted to Christianity. The fruitfulness of this ministry was a lot to do with the approach of love and valuing the people as they were within their culture. Unfortunately, Henry and Marianne were done a terrible disservice 
by Governor Graham, Bishop's Hill, and as the greed for land took hold, and the treaty that Henry, um, Henry Williams really believed that the, um, the treaty was the best thing for the Māori people and, and had um, translated it, and, and the Māori looked to him for leadership and to, as to whether they signed it or not. But as that treaty was, um, was dishonoured, that it was Henry Williams' reputation that was, that was um, called into disrepute. When we went to Waitangi last year, we went to a service at the little church at Pakaraka, where Henry and Marianne served and where they're buried. And the service honoured their lives and their Christian service. And then we went outside and we took communion around their grave, their grave side. It was a very moving time. Henry and Marianne's ministry illustrates the second point. My second point this morning is as that the gospel can reach people where they are within their cultures. It doesn't require us to become westernised. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of unconditional love to all of humanity. And I just want to finish this morning with another short message from Dave Garrett. And then I'll tell you about some of the events that are coming up before we sing our final song. I think one thing we need to realise is that there is an enormous battle in the spiritual realm for worship. Even Satan himself was willing to give all of the kingdoms, everything that had been given to him on earth, to Jesus if he'd bow and worship. Because Satan understood that the one who is worshipped is the one who has authority. One of the reasons that I think what we're talking about is such a huge area of warfare in the spirit is that as the treasures of the people are given back to God in worship, this is going to be the strongest statement for evangelism for that people group that you could ever find. So many people are going to see their own people giving honour to God through their own way when throughout all time, ever since the white missionary came, they've thought that Christianity belonged to the white man. They've thought it had to come through the white man's way and God's saying, no, it doesn't have to. This is going to be such a huge tool for the, for the Holy Spirit of God in these days. And that's why it's going to be such a battle. It's not just so that we can incorporate different sounds into our worship services. In fact, that's not even part of it at all. It's so that the people of the earth will see Christianity for what it really is. It's not a white man's religion at all. It's not a Western religion. It belongs to the whole earth because God is the God of all of the peoples of the earth. And he's going to take of his blessing to those people and give it back to him. And those that don't belong to the Lord at all will see something they've never seen and they've never ever associated with Christianity. And they're going to say, wow, this is different. Jesus is not just a white man's God at all. In fact, he could even be our God. And that question is going to be stirring in their hearts and the Holy Spirit for many of them will say, yes, that's right. That's right. He's your God and you can come as you are. The old hymn says, just as I am, without one plea, just as I am. But so often there's been a just as I am and then as long as it's this way. And God is saying, just as I am is just as I am. That's the way it is.
member of a group called um, Tararanga, and, and we, oh, there's a long history behind Tararanga, and we, but we do cool stuff. And um, there's a number of events coming up that um, some of you that you've heard about, um, the Parihaka movie. So the, the Parihaka have, take great care over their intellectual, intellectual property. Um, you can't just get the movie on Netflix. You can't go and see it at the movies any old time. About once a year, the Parihaka will come to Christchurch and they'll host the movie. And, um, and they always have, when it's only ever shown when there's whanau from Parihaka here to tell a story and to make sure it's kept true to their, um, true to their kaupapa. And so it's a great honour, actually, that they are coming here to St Albans. We are hosting them. So the movie is on the night of the 19th of... Oh, we've got something coming up, Josh. There we are. The movie's on the, the 19th of October. Um, and then the next day, um, Puna from Parihaka and um, Dr Alistair Reese um, are, are speaking here at St Albans. So I really encourage you to take the opportunity to see the movie. I've seen it um, two or three times now. It's not actually. It's not like a, um, a full-length feature film. It's more of a documentary style. Um, but it's. I took my dad to see it at the art centre one year, and it was full up, and we couldn't. We couldn't get in, and we couldn't see it. So while it's here, take the opportunity to come. And then on the Sunday morning, when Puna and, and Alistair are here, it'll be a rich time, and. Um, Alistair Reese is a good friend and does, does uh, he, he, I don't know how to describe him really, he's a historian, a Christian, and he knows um, all sorts of things about New Zealand history. He's a very interesting man. So that, that's the first, um, the first weekend. The next one um, is, what's the next one, Josh? Oh, Waitangi. Every New Zealander should and sometime in their lifetime, go to Waitangi for Waitangi Day. It, I promise you, it is not like you see in the news. It is a wonderful festival, um, and we, we had the most fantastic time there last year. We went with friends, and um, uh, with Karufa organises it. So Karufa is the Māori name for, it actually means four eyes, and that's what Māori called Henry Williams, because he was the first person they ever saw with glasses. And um, so there's a, a, a group going from Christchurch, Te Raranga are helping to facilitate that. And so there'll be an opportunity, I'll call a group together sometime over the next wee while. But be thinking about that for next year, I'm going. Um, I'm hoping my husband's going to come at the moment, he's saying no, but you might be able to put pressure on him. Maybe Alex, if you came, he might come, you could go fishing. <laughs> That'll work. I'll hire a boat. Um, so that's coming up next next um, February. Uh, what's the next one? Network Waitangi. So this morning we've got my good friend Kathy Duncan and her sister Barb here this morning from Network Waitangi. So Network Waitangi do treaty training, and that's not really doing justice to all of the wonderful work that they do. But they also produce resources that are really good, sound, balanced resources. Some of you have the blue book. If you've done my course, you'll have the blue book already. Um, but Kathy's here this morning and she can talk to you about what resources are available. And that also Network Waitangi will come into your workplaces or your, wherever you are, wherever you're working, 
wherever you'd like and, and talk about the treaty. So Kathy's just going to have a stall out the back. And the next one is Dave and Dale Garrett. So Dave and Dale Garrett are coming to Christchurch. And um, that is on the 11th and 12th of October. Um, on the Saturday night, they'll be at North City. So it'll be a little bit of a blast from the past from us who got saved in the 80s. But also, um, it, there'll be a lot about this indigenous, the indigenous voice coming out from around the world. So that'll be really well worth going to. Is that the last one? Good. Kia Thank you, Josh. Job done. Okay, so we're going to sing our last song now. I'll just invite the band to come. You know, and as we sing, racial bias is not always in plain sight. And uh, it can be an insidious thing that hides in our hearts. The news media and things that we've heard or read or been passed down through our families um, can create wonky thinking in our minds about um, other cultures and other people groups. So could we just search our hearts this morning? Ask, give the Lord an open door into our hearts to reveal things he wants to reveal, to deal with things he wants to deal with. And just as we sing this last song, to, um, to lift those up to him and ask him to, to create, an, create a right heart within us. Um, okay. Kia ora koutou. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you to the Lord that my voice has held out.